Here we are in Exodus 15. I want to read verse 20 and 21. We'll set this up a little bit and, and look at some things here that, you know, we see the scriptures talking about. It says here in verse 20, Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, and the horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. And uh, it was a few weeks back where we read about this happening. After, again, Israel left Egypt there, the Lord didn't move them by the way of the Philistines, which if you look at the map today, you know, you'll see that desert there between Israel and Egypt, and then you'll see what's called Gaza, it's Palestine-occupied territory today and so forth. Um, And God didn't bring them up that way because... There was a people there, much like a lot of the people there today, that were really wanting to uh, destroy Israel. And God knew, listen, if they go up there out of being enslaved for all these years, they're not going to be equipped for war. And perhaps they'll get discouraged and go right back down to Egypt. So remember, the Lord sent them the back way. And that back way ended up taking them right there to the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh had you know what, regretted letting the Israelites go. So he gets his army and they go. And here are the Israelites with the Red Sea here and the greatest army in the world coming at them. And immediately we talked about this. They cried out to the Lord, which was wonderful. But then in the next breath, they complained. And they complained against Moses. And whether they knew it or not, they were complaining against the Lord. Because at the end of the day, all our complaints really... They're against the Lord when we allow those to continue and we don't deal with those things properly because we plan our ways and he directs our steps. And if he works all things for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes, we believe that, right? That's scripture. So when we're complaining along the way, we're complaining about things the Lord's wanting to work for good. So we got to keep that right perspective. And they cried out and, you know, said, you brought us out here to to kill us because there weren't graves in Egypt. We get, we get, see, when you start complaining, then you get dumb, too, because they forgot that wonderful deliverance. They've seen all these miracles. And, uh, you know, basically then the Lord came in and made a wall between them and the enemy. And isn't it awesome? He absolutely puts a hedge of protection around his people. And uh, he instructs Moses to take that rod and to touch that sea. And absolutely, it opened up. And the wind blew, the ground dried, they walked through victoriously. And again, so, so much in this book we've seen just the pride of Pharaoh and the hardness of his heart, and how it was to his demise. At that point you would think, okay boys, let's get out of here, we're about to see another one of these miracles, but instead they followed them in. And indeed, those walls of water, as the last Israelite went through, came in and destroyed the Egyptian army. And so they come out the other side and the complaints are gone and the Lord moves Moses to pen a worship song, which as I already mentioned is the first psalm we see recorded in the Bible. And they rejoice in the Lord, how the, the Lord's given them victory over the horse and its rider and over the Egyptian army. And they even talk in there about, you know, the goodness of God and yet also about how the Lord is a God of war. And we looked at that last week of how that's still the case today. 
Our God's gracious and merciful. Jesus Christ went to the cross and he went to war for us while we were at war with him and our sin. And he defeated sin and the enemy and his death and resurrection. And yet we saw how the scripture makes it very clear that if men reject him and they die in their sin, that they're going to be under his wrath and how at the end of this age, the Lord's coming back and will make war with the nations. And um, that's not very popular today. There's a different Jesus being preached by many today that says that he's no longer a God of war. And that's a false Jesus. That's a false Christ. Because if that's the case, then all of a sudden we have a God that tolerates sin and isn't holy and would accept things that bring death and suffering and pain. And that's not who our God is. He's a holy God. He's sinless. And yet again, in his love, he made the way to conquer sin and going to war for us. So tonight, listen, you're either at peace with him through faith in Jesus Christ or you're at war with him. And if you're an enemy of the cross, it's time to humble your heart and ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life, to wash you and forgive you. And the beautiful thing is he will. Even if you've not only been at war with him, but maybe you've kicked hard against him your whole life and you blaspheme him and deliberately of, you know what, shook your fist at him. Whatever it's been. Listen, sin is sin. He stands ready to wash you and cleanse you and forgive you. Humble your heart and call on him. And so they're rejoicing in the victory and they're rejoicing in the salvation he's brought uh, to them from, uh, from uh, Egypt. And they've sung this worship song, which we won't read again tonight. It's the first 19 verses that you got your Bibles uh, it's there in front of you. And then we read this that we already read. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the tremble in her hand, and all the women went out after her with trembles and dances. And I want to talk about Miriam. I want to talk about her as a prophetess. I want to talk about the tremble that they used, the dances that they danced. And then we're going to see here that you get into the Hebrew, we see that it wasn't her just going out and leading the women in song and dance, but she led the congregation in dance. Absolutely, it's there in the Hebrew is the word there for sing is the masculine word in the Hebrew, which means the men and women were both led. And that brings up, again, questions of, well, what's the role of women in ministry in the church? And so we want to look at that biblically. So let's start here by talking a little bit more about Miriam and um, we first read about her in Exodus chapter 2, and we know there in chapter 1 that um, a new pharaoh had risen up that didn't know um, Joseph, and he began to greatly persecute the Israelites, and um, that seemed to be the case for the pharaohs after that pharaoh, and it came to the point where, remember, pharaoh said, listen, there's so many of these Hebrews here, um, if our enemy attacks us, they might join our enemies and overthrow us. And so they began to really try to oppress the Israelites to break them. But listen, when the enemy comes in to oppress the people of God, the only reason God allows it is so that the people of God can grow. And that's true tonight. Maybe as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're under some tribulation, some persecution, some difficulties. Anyone tonight? A few of you? All of us, some of us, some hands going up, some heads nodding, a collective, mm -hmm. listen, let's remember, again, he's working a good work in our lives, right? 
And he's more interested in our, in our character than our comfort. And so he was working a good work because, again, the more that they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. So from there, the order went out to the midwives, the Hebrew midwives who helped the Hebrew women give birth, that if a boy was to be born, they told these midwives that they were to kill those babies. I mean, what, what a horrific thing. And you even look at it, how cowardice is that? Why don't you do your own murdering, right? And yet those midwives that said, feared God. And they feared God more than they feared losing their job. They feared God more than they feared what Pharaoh would do to them. And they refused to take those babies' lives. And it says as a result of that, that the Lord blessed them and gave them homes to live in. And it's amazing, listen, when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things will be added unto us. So maybe tonight you're in a place where you're even being tempted to compromise truth and what God's called you to do. And maybe it's in a place you're doing that or that temptation there because you think this is the only way that I can survive. Listen, these things aren't just written for historical state, for, for historical reason. They're written for our learning. And listen, honor the Lord, fear God, and he will go before you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Absolutely. Just like there in Israel where he went by a fire at night and a cloud by day, the Lord will go before you. Can we say amen to that? So those midwives refused. And then the Egyptians decided, well, we've been cowards in this. We'll just do our own murdering. And they gave the charge if there's any Hebrew males that were born, they were to be taken and thrown there into the Nile really as, 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 as again, out of a mindset that their economy would be better and as an offering to, again, Ra and, you know, their demon gods that they worship. And we read about a, a couple, a Levi couple, who had a baby and they saw, it says there in Exodus 2.1, they saw that the child was beautiful. And uh, I don't think there's a commentary on them. Uh, well, they saw the child was beautiful, so they hid the child six, or for three months, this baby. And I don't think that's a commentary on them where they said, well, listen, if the kid's ugly, we'll just throw him in. But if he's beautiful, we won't. Because, listen, every baby's beautiful, right? And, you know, the, using that verbiage, I think it really again, doesn't distinguish ugly from beautiful practically, but every child is beautiful. And they saw that beauty and they saw that child was a gift from God. And, and they said, listen, we're going to hide this child. But it's pretty hard to hide a, a, a baby for more than three months because babies cry and babies make noise. And, you know, you roll up and you got to put the baby in the car seat and bring out the stroller and everything else, right? And that's going to get difficult. So they came to that point where the Lord led them and we're getting to Miriam here, to take that baby and to put that baby in an ark and to place that baby there in the Nile River. And we talked about that ark at the time, how really that ark, in a, in a way, was a picture of salvation. You know, they, they, they put that baby in that ark and they trusted that baby's life into that ark. And we got an ark tonight, his name's Jesus Christ. And we trusted him for our salvation. And so it says there that, again, the, the ark went and it laid by the reeds of the riverbank. And then Exodus 2.4, probably up here, it says, And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. And um, I don't know, I feel choked up all of a sudden as I read that. You know, just, just uh, having four kids. And, um, you know, you pray that they would all have a heart for the Lord. And they'd have a heart for each other, too. 
And uh, Miriam wasn't much older than Moses. Uh, I know Aaron was uh, three years older than Moses. And uh, I, I can't recall if we have her exact age, but listen, at this point, she, she couldn't be much over maybe 10 years old if she, if she was uh, that, maybe eight or nine years old, at the most, possibly 11 or 12. And boy, what an awesome commentary on Miriam, right? She knew, she knew what the laws were. She knew if that baby was found alive, listen, not only would that baby be killed, but they were defiling the superpower of the world. That could cost her her life. And here she is, this little girl, we'll just say 10 years old. We don't know for sure, but we know around there. Here she is start standing afar off to see what would happen to her little brother. That's an incredible picture of faith. And again, as it says that she was a prophetess here, we'll talk about that here in a second. I don't think it's a thing she became a prophetess after Moses, you know, rolled up after 80 years and said, let my people go. To me, this looks like a picture of a prophetess as a little girl, does it not? I mean, uh, we'll talk about what a prophet it is, prophetess is, but it's it, more here in a minute. Uh, but this was obviously a, a little girl that greatly feared the Lord. And what incredible commentary. I mean, would, would you not want that to be your child there? Uh, going out and saying, listen, I don't care. It might end up being capital punishment for me, but I'm going to stand afar off and watch. And then it talks about here again, the daughter of Pharaoh comes down to bathe. And so now you're with the daughter of Pharaoh whose father's given this order to murder these babies. So what's going to happen? And we read there that, again, uh, uh, she sees the baby and they bring the baby over to her. And we talked a lot about this. When she saw the baby, she had compassion. And the decree had been given to kill these babies, but when she saw the baby, again, her heart changed. She had compassion. And we talked about this even with the whole issue of life today and the issues of abortion and so forth, the enemy works hard for people not to know the truth. Because when people start knowing the truth of life beginning at conception and a heartbeat at 10 days and how quickly that baby develops, it, it changes their heart. It changes their viewpoint of things. It changes them from being told, listen, abort this child and you'll have a better economic future to realizing this is a life and compassion coming forth and so forth. And this is why even sonograms are an incredible gift from God that he's used to save many babies' lives. And so to her credit, you know what? She saw the baby, she had compassion, and she said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Hebrews children. And then notice verse 7, then his sister, or there, then Miriam said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Again, Listen, a prophetess, we'll see here in a second, a prophetess is one who speaks the things of God with power. And this little girl is prophesying as she puts this forth. This goes forth with power. Because notice verse 8, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. And as she spoke this in power, again, Pharaoh's daughter, who no doubt had been moved by the spirit of God and her heart changed, says, go call the child's mother. And Moses' mother gets to be involved in, his, in her child's life, whom they said would be destroyed when she took a faith, step of faith, and did what she wasn't supposed to do by the government because God's rule overreigns them. We honor God even when they say to do something that's wrong. And not only did she get to play a part in raising her son, we read that she even got paid to do it. <laughs> but what an incredible picture of Miriam here. And we haven't read a lot about her, 
between then and now. And now all of a sudden, you know what, it's, it's 80 years later. So maybe she's 90 years old. Again, I'm not sure if the exact age is given. I should have looked that up and you have to forgive me for not doing that. But I, I do know that, again, Aaron's three years older and she's older than them, but couldn't it be by a whole lot more. Now we see after they come out and the, this worship song's written that she goes out with these women to sing and to play this tambourine, basically is what it is. Now, again, it says she's a prophetess, and a prophetess is the same as a prophet. A prophet or a prophetess is one that's inspired by God to speak the things of God in power. Listen, they're not inspired by themselves. They're not inspired by emotions. They're not inspired by circumstance. They're not inspired by a desire to get attention, to run around trying to prophesy over everyone when really they're just practicing divination. And a lot of modern-day so-called prophets, they're not inspired by the Lord. They are inspired by themselves or they practice some form of divination as they dabble in strange fire because they're so inundated with unbiblical doctrine and a desire to be recognized and acknowledged. Now, a biblical prophet can also be one that predicts the future. But listen, you start saying, I'm going to prophesy in the name of the Lord, A, B, C, and D is going to happen. A, B, C, and D better happen in that order or you're a false prophet. And boy, there's a lot of, in that sense, a lot of false prophets running around that are continually wrong. And yet, again, because of a lack of fear of God and honoring the scriptures, these people are still allowed to run around and use those titles. Um, Listen, I get leery when people start saying they're a prophet. Um, I, in fact, I, I don't know of any who, who predict the future that are all 100% right. Maybe there's some. I, I, I know that a lot that do that that are wrong quite often and yet ignore that. Um, I don't think the office has ceased, but I do know this, that we're to pray that we can prophesy. And I think there's a difference between prophesying and then claiming to be a prophet. In fact, I think if there were any true modern-day prophets, they wouldn't by, start by saying, I'm prophet so-and-so, I'm glad to meet you. I, I, I just, I don't, I don't see that as being the case. But should we prophesy? Absolutely. I, pro- I pray that I prophesy from this pulpit. That when I get up here and speak, I'm just not chattering and it's going up the air, but I would speak the things of God in power. And I'm under the conviction that if one does occupy a pulpit, that they better do a little bit of prophesying, otherwise someone else needs to come in and take that thing over. And I do know this as well, that we're all to pray that we could prophesy. 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him, however, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. But to he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. And he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you all prophesied. For you prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless he interprets that the church may receive edification. And as we see, Miriam was this prophetess. Let me ask you, are you praying that you could prophesy because God commands you to pray that way? Now listen, we think of prophets or prophesying. And this is good news. This doesn't mean you have to yell. I think you think of prophecy, someone yelling. It doesn't mean you have to wear a sandwich board sign. 
Maybe God will call you to that. But listen, I want to prophesy just when I speak to my kids about the Lord, don't you? I want to prophesy when I'm ministering to my wife. I want to prophesy when I'm maybe talking to someone at the gas station or whatever about the Lord, that those things would go forth and they would go forth with power and they would penetrate people's hearts. That we would be able to edify one another. And so we need to pray for that gift. I, I know there's been times I've been prophesied to and, and I can't recall ever being yelled at in those times. I've shared this before. I was a young man, backslidden. I'm in Salinas, California. As growing up in Gilroy, it would be a choice do we want to party in Salinas tonight or do we want to party in San Jose? If we want to fight, we'll go to Salinas. If we want to do clubs, we'll go to San Jose. And being down in Salinas, down there on Main Street, cruising my lowrider, full of thugs, and there's a group of people over here with Jesus signs, and I'm trying to do everything I can do to ignore, ignore them, and one of the ladies comes right up to my window and says, looks right at me past everyone else in the car and says, are you a Christian? Well, listen, I had accepted the Lord as a little kid. And, and though I wasn't living for the Lord, there was no way I was going to deny the Lord. I don't care what these people think about me even in the car. And I said to her, yes. And she looks at me and she says, she prophesied to me. She said, then what are you doing out here? And she turned around and walked away. And the next three or four years, everything I did, I heard her voice. What are you doing out here? It was prophetic. She prophesied. And so we want to pray for that gift, amen. So Miriam, she's a prophetess, again, sister of Aaron, also sister of Moses. It says she took the tremble in her hand. And listen, God's called us to worship him. And, and, um, and let me read Psalm 150. It says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord in the sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. It's an instrument, right? Praise him with the lute and harp. They're instruments. Praise him with the tremble. It's an instrument and dance. Praise him with string instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And so we know that we're called to praise the Lord. And then we see instruction to praise the Lord with instruments. The biblical call here, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I take that as if something could make a noise, then let's take that thing to make a noise to praise the Lord with it. And you can either make noises to praise God or you can make noise to blaspheme God, right? But we see this call. And I bring this up because this is just something that comes up oftentimes. This is trembling or, or, or uh, um, tremble here. It's where we get the word tambourine, and it's from the root word to drum, to play a drum. And um, I know when it comes to drums in church, people have different convictions, but biblically, they took a drum out. These women took drums out, and again, it's from the root word to drum or to strike a drum. And in Psalm 81.1, or 81, one, it says, sing aloud to the Lord with our strength, make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob, raise a song and strike the tremble, praise the heart with a lute. So these women go out and what are they doing? They are striking a tremble. They are striking a drum to bring glory and to praise God. And listen, I think most people today, they don't take issue with that. Uh, pretty much our music today, you know what? Drums and such in our culture 
are used. But for some people, this can be a real stumbling block. And they've been told through tradition of men, you don't use drums to worship the Lord. And listen, if that's someone's conviction, they don't want to use a drum, then don't use a drum and worship the Lord. But biblically, you're going to be pressed to find scripture that says you can't use a drum to worship the Lord when they're taking drums out to worship the Lord. (laughs) And I think this is why it's worthy of speaking of because some people, again, this can become a stumbling block for them or a real hang-up or they can start moving into a legalism that you don't find in scripture. Again, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And no doubt they took these drums out and it had a type of breath and that it made a noise and they use it to worship God. And it's interesting, you go to the Middle East today, you go to Israel today, and the music, it's very rhythmic. And it's very reflective of the same music they had back then. This is why there's actually so many Israeli rappers today, believe it or not. Some of them are, real, are quite good because they grew up in houses with a lot of rhythm. You know? It's like the little boy growing up in Compton listening to Cool and the Gang and, you know, James Brown and all these groups growing up. It's just embedded in them because they are in the womb listening to this stuff. It's very rhythmic music. And so, you know, they took this out and with a rhythmic music, they brought praise to the Lord. But being a ex, and my kids still, you know, for some reason, listen to my old music, an old Christian rapper Boy, a lot of times there would be people that would get very upset that you're praising God over a beat and then sharing the gospel. And what I oftentimes heard is, and I would take people to scripture like this, and they would say, well, the origin of the drums from Africa, and they used the drum to worship demons. And that would be the argument, even though you bring them to these scriptures. And they say, but that's where the origins were, because if the origins from there, that makes it all evil. And again, these things aren't thought out. These things aren't looking in the fullness of Scripture because in Genesis chapter 4, we read about the descendants of Cain. And the descendants of Cain were not worshipers of God. The Cain and, you know, those descendants were a godless people. In fact, the people that don't believe angels came down and had relations with uh, women, like the Bible says, they say, well, it was the line of Cain. They, They were the evil people And they had relations with the descendants of Seth, and they were the good people. And they take their argument from Scripture that Cain, he raised godless children. It's interesting, in Genesis 4.21, it says, this is about the descendants, this is Cain's grandson. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those that play the harp and the flute. So the harp and the flute have their origins. They were first made by men that were godless. So does that mean every time you hear someone play a harp or a a flute, that's satanic? I mean, you've got to use the same argument, right? You, you, you can't say, well, we've come up with an idea. This is from the deep parts of Africa, though we see this in Bible, so it makes it evil. But the harp and the flute came from the descendants of Cain that were demon worshippers, so that's okay. You, you, can't, you can't do that. That's intellectually unfair and, you know what, right. And so, listen, what do we see here is that if it can make breath... Use it to praise the Lord, but if you're going to say it's my conviction not to, that's fine, but you can't use those arguments because if you're going to use them, then the person playing the flute under the Lord or a harp under the Lord, you say, oh, well, I'm not offended by that because there's not rhythm. If you're going to use the same argument, you, could, you have to say then that's evil what they're doing there. 
But I think it's important we know these things. I think it's important we can understand where these things are found in Scripture. And as we read there in Psalm 150, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Listen, music of any form, in my opinion, is not bad when it's used to worship God. You can take this drum set over here and worship the Lord with it or not. Again, they came out with trembles with drums and they struck them and they worshiped the Lord. But listen to this. This is the other side of this. It can become fleshly and sensual really quickly. And most secular music today, it's, it's very sensual. It's very fleshly. All you have to do is start listening to the lyrics, right? Watch the stage show. And sadly, even a lot of music today that's called Christian you look at the lyrics and you look at the way it's put forth and it doesn't seem to be being used to worship God but more to appeal to the, the central side of man, to appeal to the flesh of man, to um, more move to entertain men than to worship God. Now listen, I, I'm not going to go so far to say you can't use music, music to entertain people, but when you put it forth as worship of God or a worship service, and yet everyone there is just being entertained and all their senses are being stimulated versus worshiping God in spirit and truth, let's not call that worship. That's called a rock and roll show is what that's called. And we have to have a balance in these things. And in these instruments up here and what we are doing, we need to make sure that we're here to worship God. And I know that Lisa, the worship team up here, and we have a lot of interaction. I have the elders, the leadership has a lot of interaction and a lot of oversight in the things that go on up here. We're making sure, we're doing our best to make sure the songs that we're singing are God-centered, Christ-centered, not man-centered. Boy, a lot of music today, it's man-centered. God's a footnote. You step back, are they singing to the Lord or about their girlfriend here? I don't really know. And absolutely trying to make it an aim that you don't come in here and watch a show, but you're led into worship just as Miriam and these women went out and were collectively worshiping God together. Jesus said in John 4, 23, that the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship again in spirit and truth. We're not to worship in the flesh, we're not to worship in a sensual sense of just saying, I'm really worshiping God because all my senses are being stimulated. And oftentimes when you come in and there's a full-on light show and there's fog and there's all this stuff, then all of a sudden the guy comes out of the fog and does his guitar solo over here and whatnot. It's like, are we worshiping in spirit and truth now or is this just a thing to appeal to the flesh? Because some guys discovered about 50, 60 years ago that our modern culture judges whether something's good or bad, whether they're entertained or not. We're a culture that wants to be entertained. And they realize, listen, if church becomes just entertainment, people will come back because they want to have that sense of godliness, though the power is going to be denied if you put truth and the spirit to the side, but they'll come back because they'll be more entertained. And this is why you see so much of Christian today it just is getting more and more and more entertainment-oriented. I've seen churches looking for pastors, and basically the description is, we want someone who's really funny and who can tell really good stories to entertain the people. I've seen it written out like that. Versus, hey, we want a prophet 
Or we want someone who can prophesy to come in here. Because the idea is, listen, the more we entertain, the more people will come. Because, again, their senses will be stimulated versus their spirit. But listen, there's a real downside to that. Because what you win people with is what you've got to win them to. And eventually the show gets old. And then people wander off and they've never really had, you know, a, 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 a relationship with the Lord. And they say, I tried that thing and it didn't work. And you're even finding this in different different churches and spiritual groups built on this beginning to implode around our country because there's just no substance in it. And so we're called to, to, to sing spiritual songs. This is in Psalm or Ephesians 5.17. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in Psalms, hymns, notice here, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And so we want to worship in spirit and in truth. And the truth would be what we're singing is biblically true. And again, listen, there's so much Christian music today. We, sometimes we're driving down the, the, the road and we have one of these, these stations on. And the doctrine is so bad, I just switch over to a secular station. And what are you doing? I go, at least I know where these people are coming from. Over here I'm being lied to. I'd rather listen to some 80s here for a little bit because at least I know where they're at versus you're saying you're of the Lord, but this is, you're talking about worshiping your, the error and whatnot. I mean, this stuff is just ridiculous. Anyhow, one other note here, then we'll talk about Miriam's role here. They also went out and they danced, and this is where one would say, oh boy, does this mean we're going to start dancing on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. And listen, biblically, my conviction is there's a time and a place for everything. But a Jericho march on Sunday morning is not the time and place. Um, And some may say, well, okay, you're okay with drums, but not with dances, you hypocrite. Well, listen, it's one thing to come up here and play a drum that's been rehearsed, that there's order in the service. 1 Corinthians 14, 40, let all things be done decently and in order. And what was going on in Corinth where there was no order. And I know this, when I'm worshiping and someone in the front row wants to start to do the electric slide up here or whatever, it makes it really hard for me to worship the Lord. And my conviction is whether they're up here, you know, doing the two-step themselves or the flag team comes in, it's just, just flat out distracting. And so listen, if your conviction is, hey, we want a mosh pit, I'm sure you can go find one, but that's not our conviction here. But absolutely, can you dance before the Lord? Listen, there's been many times where I've danced before the Lord and uh, rejoiced in the Lord. But I think it's important when we come together that the attention is going to the Lord, that there is an order there, that there is a, again, focus in on Him. And what I have always found when there's that one person that wants to gum up and do a twirl pirouette or whatever here in the front and a back and forth all of a sudden everyone's looking at them and everyone's forgot that we're worshiping Jesus so you're like well what if I just sway you know the junior high dance or whatever you're probably okay there <laughs> but uh anyhow notice verse 21 and Miriam answered them again sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously and the horse and riders thrown to the sea 
I want to address this issue. We've got about 10 minutes here. Again, the word here, seeing, it's the word shiru. It's the masculine plural, not the feminine. And, and basically in saying this, it's saying she didn't just lead these women. She was leading the congregation in worship. Now, there's different views of women's role in the church today. There's some people that say, listen, there are no, there are no different, you know what, boundaries here to what men are called to do and women it's just a free-for-all there's others that just really oppress women to the point where they can't do anything but come in and sit down i don't see either of those in scripture what we see in scripture is that women are not permitted to be elders to be pastors to exercise authority uh, over men or to teach men in the church 1 Timothy 2.11, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And, and this, isn't, this isn't saying, and the men can just pipe off while there's a teaching. I mean, there should be order. And I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman be deceived, fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, and self-control. And that childbearing is talking about Again, Mary, as the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, was the seed of woman that Christ came from through the Holy Spirit, that salvation came. But notice, don't let a woman to teach or have authority over man in the church. They're not to teach men. They're not to lead. Why? Because, listen, is this God's oppressing women? No, because God made man first. And he made man to lead his wife. He made man to be her covering. Does that diminish the role of a woman or make her role less than? Absolutely not. Her role is to come to be his helpmate, to come along his side. But see, when you got a church that's out of order, you got women leading the church, guess what's going to happen? That's going to be carried over into the home. And you're going to have women leading the home. And that's out of order. Listen, it's, ingra- it's, it's ingrained in the heart of women to be led by men that want to love them and look out for them. And absolutely, God has put it into men to lead. And this is why when you find men that are not leading the way they should be in their home, their home's out of order. And when you find women that are leading when they shouldn't be, there's out of order there too. Though sometimes women do have to be the spiritual leader because dude just wants to sit around and do his own thing. So there's an order in that. And when you find women pastoring, listen, that's not their call or not their role. And I would be very leery because they can't even rightly divide the scriptures. I don't even know how you would teach this. How would you even teach it? Well, that doesn't apply today. It does apply today because God's order is still, again, applicable. Now, again, is this implying that women just got to sit there and be quiet and do nothing? Well, listen to 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Now, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things. And keep the traditions just as I deliver them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. The head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her head. For the one and the, one and the same as if her head were shaved. Now, listen, there's a lot of cultural things in this text here. But what this is talking about is men need to be led by Christ. And again, women in the church setting in the home are to be led by their husbands or the church leadership as they're being led by the Lord. 
That's one side of this, but it talks about women praying and prophesying. And Miriam, the, prophesis, prophet, uh, the prophetess, went out and led them in worship. Now, does this mean she was teaching them? No. Does this mean she was undermining Moses and Aaron's authority? No, she was under their authority as they were under the Lord's authority. And she went out and exercised her gift of prophesying in leading them in worship to the Lord. And so biblically, what you find is that women are not to teach men. They are not to be elders. They're not to be pastors. Other than that, though, provided that they're submitted to the church leadership and understand their role. Listen, there is all kinds of areas where the Lord used women mightily including leading worship, including ministering, you know, in children's ministry, and all kinds of different roles, ministering to one another. So again, she's exercising this prophetic gift. And we also read in Scripture that the Lord says that she was a leader. Micah 6, 4, For I brought you up from the land of Egypt, I redeemed you from the house of bondage, and I set before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And so Miriam was set before them as a leader, provided she was being led by Moses and Aaron, and they were being led by the Lord. And God blessed that. Now there was one time when Miriam did not want to be led. In Numbers chapter 12, her and Aaron said, who's Moses just to lead? They were upset because he married an Ethiopian woman after his first wife passed away. And as a result of them questioning Moses, she had leprosy for a week. So there's absolutely order in this. When she tried to, again, undermine that authority and put herself up to lead in that sense of an elder or pastor, it was to her detriment and to the detriment of the church. But absolutely, when she was leading under the leadership of Moses and Aaron under the Lord in her proper role, the Lord absolutely blessed it. And as far as prophets and prophetess, again, we see a reference to both in the scriptures in the Old and the New Testament Talking about Philip in Acts 21.9, it says, This man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And then in Acts 2.17, it says, It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and these shall prophesy. And boy, what a sad thing if there are women that the Lord wants to prophesy through, and they say, well, you're not going to prophesy here. We're not going to let you speak here. We're not going to let you do anything here. When again, provided they're under the leadership of the church, and that church leadership is under the Lord, boy, there's some ministry that God wants to use that's being suppressed that could be wonderful and good. And then lastly on this, just this whole issue of her going out and leading them in worship, actually the office of worship leader that we hear so much about today it's not even found anywhere in the new testament it's just a i guess you could say it's a made-up office but listen to what ephesians says about us ministering to one another in song ephesians five seventeen. i think i read it already but i'll read it again therefore do not be unwise but understand what the will of the lord is and do not be drunk with wine which is dissipation but be filled with the spirit notice you're speaking to one another and psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. So again, we see this call to sing to one another while singing to the Lord, and absolutely it's non-gender specific. 
He says, sing to one another. Worship the Lord together. And this is the closest thing that we find to any type of worship leading in the scriptures. Lastly, what are they seeing? He has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. And absolutely, we talked about last week, and we'll close with this. As he triumphed over the army of Egypt, Israel's enemy, praise God, Jesus Christ has triumphed tonight, has he not? Over sin and Satan and death and Hades, Hades and Hades. Uh, and he did that through the cross, his death and resurrection. And let's never forget that, Amen. Let's rejoice in that. Let's sing spiritual songs that revolve around the cross and give Him glory and honor. And listen, tonight, if you haven't called on the name of the Lord, He wants to wash you and be your Lord and Savior tonight. Humble your heart and ask Him to be the Lord of your life and truth and He'll meet you where you're at. So Heavenly Father, we praise You. We thank You. We thank You for the Scriptures. Lord, so much here in these few verses for us to consider. Lord, absolutely, we want to walk in a biblical manner. We want to worship you in spirit and truth, God, individually and absolutely collectively as a church. And so let us be found a people worshiping you in spirit and truth. Let us be found a people who know and understand our gifts and our roles. And Lord, Lord, not to have those with a grudge against you, but absolutely to rejoice in them and to go walk in them as unto you, Lord that you would be glorified, that your church would be edified, and Lord, that the church, the world would be evangelized. And uh, so we thank you for our time here tonight, your goodness to us, and we ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name, and we said together, amen.